This is an ABC podcast. Hey there, welcome to Click Sick on Science Friction. I'm Natasha Mitchell. In this series, we've been ferreting out false health claims on social media. And be sure to catch the last two episodes in our podcast. Well, today it's a cautionary tale from the world of wellness and the surprisingly radical roots of a movement that's become big business. When Jade was 21, she wanted to get in shape, so she turned to the internet. I vividly remember not wanting to pay for the gym, so I would Google free YouTube videos. Yep, I've so been there. And on platforms like YouTube and Instagram, stacks of shiny, beautiful people are there too, ready to give us all tips on how to live our best lives. The ABC Science Unit's technology reporter, Ariel Bogle, joins me again. Ariel, what did Jade find online? Well, as you'd expect, endless videos of fit, attractive young people demoing workout routines, sharing diet tips. But YouTube's recommendation algorithm eventually led Jade to the channel of one Australian wellness influencer, Sarah's Day. What's up guys, welcome back to my channel. Today I'm so excited to bring you this video. It is a real-time 15-minute fat-burning workout. And it was one of the home workouts. Loved it and then went down the rabbit hole of watching all of the old videos and very much following exactly what it said. And this is how so-called wellness influencers become so influential. If you're old school, they're kind of reminiscent of Jane Fonda's aerobic class videos of the 1980s, but they're now beaming to billions via social media. Yeah, and this generation of wellness influencers, it's become a booming business. Some are raking in millions of viewers and dollars. As an example, Sarah of Sarah's Day, Ariel, has almost 1.5 million subscribers. She's big. It's eye-watering. And to Jade, Sarah was beachy and energetic. She was instantly appealing. It's just very aesthetic. Like, it's pretty, it's easy to watch, it's edited well. Uh, it was very upbeat, um, quite fun. And so for months, whatever Sarah endorsed, Jade bought. So I had literally a whole wardrobe, well, like cabinet thing full of like, all of these like cacao powder, maca powder, um, a goji berries, acai powder for like all these smoothie things. Jade just found Sarah so relatable. Yeah, it felt basically like my life, it was a bit weird because it was similar circumstances. Like we were both the same age. We were both with our partners who were of the same age in the same situation of moving in together. It was literally kind of felt like, oh, this is a mirror of what my life could be if I exercised. Jade's days started to look like everything she saw on the Sarah's Day YouTube channel. So I remember back then, I think like within like two weeks, me and my boyfriend at the time uh, went paleo. The paleo diet tries to replicate what early humans ate and it's not keen on beans, breads. Never any um, starch, like so no white potato, nothing like that. So breakfast was one of those smoothies, which was a banana, cacao powder, protein powder and water. <laughs> and yeah, that was it. And just water. At the time, Jade didn't dwell on the science behind what Sarah was saying. Yeah, a 21 couldn't have cared less. I just saw someone online that was pretty and had the life I wanted and was a beach bum and just kind of copied it. Until Jade got a shock. <laughs> okay, I just 
just like want to get this over and done with. In late 2017, Sarah posted something different from her usual happy, glossy videos on wellbeing. My whole philosophy in life is just being so positive and so happy. My mum brought She was visibly upset as she spoke directly into the camera, eyes brimming. Deep down, I know I'm going to be okay. Honestly, Sarah announced that she'd received a diagnosis. She had issues with SIN3, which is precancerous cells in the cervix. It looks like I have high-grade cervical dysplasia, so SIN3. Dysplasia means the development of abnormal cells, in this case, on the surface of the cervix. High-grade means the cells are precancerous, so they could become cancerous, but they may not. They're typically picked up by a cervical cancer screening test, or formerly pap smears. But this news from Sarah, it really hit home for Jade. I actually had a similar issue myself when I was 20. At the time, Jade sat down with her doctor. He was like, look, there are lots of options in this stage. You're young. These things just go away sometimes. And then also at the fact that otherwise it's, it's a very simple removal surgery. It's not very invasive. So Jade felt sympathetic towards Sarah. She knew firsthand what she might be feeling. And I remember her being really upset and I actually messaged her. Now, Sarah has more than one million followers on Instagram, but this was a genuine moment of connection with someone Jade felt she'd spent a lot of virtual time with. And I just said like, hey, I've been through the same thing, I'm the same age, like, you'll be fine. You know, I went back for my, after a couple of months and went back and checked again and everything was okay, you're young, you're healthy, it should be fine. Never got a reply, didn't expect to. Still, Jade kind of felt like they were on a shared journey, but then, about seven months later. I'm like really excited to film this video, but at the same time, I'm really nervous because everything in the health world, especially if it's like a serious health issue, there's just so much backlash and judgment that comes with it. She posted and said like she cured herself and that it was all like her healthy eating and prayer. I really just can't believe it. It's definitely the most serious health issue that I've been able to tackle in a healthy, holistic, natural way. Yeah. Sarah's video had a provocative headline, how I healed myself naturally. Cervical dysplasia, SIN3, high grade. Loads of smoothies and I was always adding Tropica acai powder in there and gabinj powder. I had loads. Sarah told her followers that her diagnosis had gone from SIN3 that is, high-grade abnormalities, to a possible lower-grade classification. She then described her own approach to, as she puts it, try to heal her cervix naturally. She says she did consult with her gynaecologist and her naturopath about her game plan, but she wanted them to give her time to try her own strategy. The rest of this video is just telling you all of the healthy ways that I cured my cervix and how I am now free, pretty much free from cervical dysplasia. Sarah says her plan included a range of things, from dosing up on antioxidants and other supplements. Diseases thrive in an inflammatory environment. So I was determined to make my body as anti-inflammatory as possible and then anti Antioxidants, so I wanted to fuel to positive thinking and prayer and even just saying like positive affirmations to myself I prayed a lot my sisters prayed over me my mum prayed over me and then this is some months later she visited her gynecologist for another cervical test the results came in so he was on the phone and he said I'm so excited and overwhelmed to tell you that you are now possible low-grade which meant some low-grade changes in the cells were detected but they weren't a particular concern I'm still so shocked so proud of myself that I did it 
My takeaway is to increase immunity, increase antioxidants, eat as natural. But Jade wasn't convinced. In my mind, I was like, this can't be right. And what about the science? According to data cited by Cancer Council Australia, 30% of SYN3 cases will regress spontaneously. Abnormal cells are no longer detected in a woman's cervix. It also says there is no known link between this process of regression and diet or lifestyle factors. But it's still really important to have your regular cervical cancer screening tests because in the absence of screening, 14 to 31% of cases of SYN3 progress to invasive cancer. So the current evidence doesn't back up Sarah's claim it was all her doing, that she'd healed herself. We emailed Sarah of Sarah's Day for further comment, but she hasn't responded to Science Friction's request for an interview. Her video, however, does come with a disclaimer. So with all I'm doing is sitting here and telling you my story and what I did. Take from that what you will, but especially with your serious health issues, I highly recommend and highly advise you and encourage you to go to your medical professional, like your gynecologist and your doctors or whoever you want to go to and listen to their advice. And that's what I did. And healing myself was actually under the guidance of my gynecologist and my naturopath. We'll come back to these sorts of disclaimers again shortly. But even with that disclaimer, what message did some of Sarah's viewers get. I'm literally crying having found this video. Thank, Thank you. you. From the bottom of my Thank heart. Thank you for this. I have seen through. I know. I can heal this. You're so inspiring. I'm suffering from this problem too. Do you mind telling me the names of the supplements? Did you eat cooked vegetables too or all raw? A lot of people are going Please through this. share as much as you can. I think self-healing is the best cure. Pray for me too. Thank you. Thanks. These sorts of comments below Sarah's YouTube video raised a red flag for Jade. And everyone was just like, you know, go you, that's so great. Like, oh, I can't believe this. I have it too, I'll try your way. And at over 340,000 views, this video has had a lot of eyeballs. And I was just literally in shock. Jade was worried that some of Sarah's viewers might also try to heal themselves using her regime, but without medical supervision. And three months later, it doesn't work out for them and they've wasted time for what could have been a very easy procedure of surgery of just removing those cells. For Jade, Sarah's day had suddenly lost its shine. That was kind of when I stopped um, consuming all of like the powdery smoothies. Um, one, because I kind of got sick of them, but two, <laughs> uh, yeah, I just was like, oh, maybe this isn't as correct as I thought it was. I do think we need to be cautious of these really wonderful, rosy stories about self-healing. Natalia Melman Petrozella, an associate professor of history at the New School, studies the history of wellness and fitness culture. I got her to watch Sarah's Sin 3 Cure video. And of course, there's a basis in the fact that your nutrition matters and your outlook matters and all that stuff. One of the things that bothers me, which I think was apparent in her, in her story too, was like positioning a kind of false equivalency between like her journey and scientific medicine, right? I don't want to discount anyone's age. Agency, I think that it is, they, those two are not the same thing. As we mentioned earlier, Sarah's video does come with a disclaimer, encouraging her viewers to seek professional medical advice. Now, disclaimers in this business are powerful and they're very common. Sociologist Dr. Stephanie Alice Baker from City University of London studies how we communicate online about health. It's really difficult because even when you look at people who have very successful wellness brands like Gwyneth Paltrow's group. 
What we try to do at Goop is to explore ideas that may seem out there or too scary. I had an exorcism. She has a disclaimer at the beginning of her series, The Goop Lab, where it's indicated that the series is not intended to provide medical advice. It's, it's really about entertaining and informing. This is dangerous. It's unregulated. Should I be scared? However, we do know that people are influenced by the people they aspire to be like online, hence the word influencer. It isn't dangerous for everyone. It's not horrible for everyone. There are a lot of people out there who have the knowledge to look at this directly with a grain of salt from the first point. But what's seductive about the disclaimers that influencers like Gwyneth and Sarah use is that they create an aura of authority while putting responsibility back on us, the audience, to check if there's actually any science behind what they're saying. That said, not everyone's equally seduced. I have a lot of friends like that and they look at me like, why did you even follow her? You like, why why did you get so sucked in? Or like, why do you even care now? Like, I find it's people that like me who had mental health issues when they were when they were younger, still do, but so unfortunately it ends up being the people who already have issues or have health unhealthy aspects with food and diet that tend to get gravitated towards this content and it actually ends up being quite harmful. One of the tricky things in all this is mainstream medicine is incomplete when it comes to investigating the health impacts of things like diet or our state of mind. And medicine often fails to treat us as a whole person, body, mind and spirit. Wellness influences step into that gap. The way that I define wellness culture is fundamentally the idea that mind and body are connected and to have a kind of holistic sense of health or fulfillment, you've got to cultivate all parts of you, mind, body, you know, spirit, heart, that that's part of it. But it's also rooted in this idea that I think can be very empowering, which is it's up to you to take control of your own health. But the self-empowerment message of wellness influencers about what supplements you can take and the workouts you can do, it actually masks a very different history. Here we are in 2020 and we think of the world of social media as sort of at the center of mainstream wellness, but it didn't begin that way. I am woman, hear me roar in numbers too big to ignore. And I know the wellness movement wasn't wholly born out of individualism. It also has roots in a moment and in movements based on radical collective action for change. Natalia Petrozella. These were radical movements. This was pushing back on the pharmaceutical industry. This was pushing back on a very technocratic medical field. Still, these things are true. That was telling particularly women and other marginalized folks, like, you don't know your body. We know you best. Like, you know, and it's everything from don't breastfeed your children to take this pill. And I think that those origins can rapidly be forgotten in a very commercialized world of wellness that we're in today. The reason those ideas are appealing is because, yeah, women's health has been a freaking disaster for centuries. And women for centuries have been told that they don't know their own bodies and that, you know, some male doctor knows what's best. One struggle, one fight. Women of the world unite. Then came the 1960s and 70s as more than 10,000 militant feminists 
stage a one-day strike. Centers, the right to free abortion on demand. This will continue as a political coalition. To the women's movement advocated for the right of women to control their own bodies, their sexuality, their reproductive choices. So the concept is this, basically. And the civil rights movement fought for equal access to health care, challenging the predominantly white medical establishment's neglect of marginalised communities. Then there was the hippie counterculture, experimenting with meditation, yoga and psychedelics. A genuine health revolution was being born. Our body was our own and we had the right to question what the medical establishment did to it. But wherever there's a movement, there is a market opportunity and a chance to cash in on the mantra. So much of this contemporary wellness movement, and this is in some ways by virtue of being commercialized, is all about offering individual approaches and solutions to what often are structural problems. Those structural critiques were part of the original kind of wellness movement. They were talking about these structures which had excluded largely women, other marginalized people of color largely. But now what you see is this is about you and what you can buy and what you can do for your own body as opposed to that earlier focus on critiquing lack of access to health care, to safe neighborhoods, to clean air. So the contemporary wellness scene too often ignores how we're set up to fail. The flip side of this empowering your health is in your hands. All you have to do is believe and work hard and want it. The flip side of that is, and if you are sick or all of, you know, food eating healthfully and working out, etc., doesn't succeed, it's your fault. Then came the internet. And here was an opportunity to find a global audience on platforms like YouTube and Instagram an unfettered and mostly unregulated digital marketplace. There's a lot of money to be made. What you often see in almost, I should say, almost always see in these videos of these wellness influencers is that the minute that they're done showing, like sharing their journey or even in the middle of their journey, it's like, and just click below to get the, you know, supplements that I endorse or, you know, um, and don't forget to follow me on Instagram and on Twitter and this because all of those followers and clicks can be converted into money. I think the best advice is to look at wellness influencers and look at content on social media through the lens of advertising. Sociologist Dr Stephanie Alice Baker. Because ultimately these individuals, whether they're acting nefariously or whether they're acting with the very best intentions, are brands and they are selling you a product and a service. And the message of self-empowerment that they've borrowed from politicised movements of the past it's now all part of a marketing strategy. They're talking about self-care and detoxification and living naturally and listening to your body, which all sound like great things. But you can't help but notice that all of those people speaking in that wonderfully empowering language kind of look like Barbie dolls. And I think that that sells really well because that's still a really, really appealing aesthetic. Of course, social media has also provided a liberating platform for people of all body types and backgrounds. But when you look at who still gets the big series on Netflix, who gets the biggest brand deals? A lot of the stuff that succeeds really well are kind of wellness approaches or services that package the same old 
beautiful, thin, rich, white image in a more kind of woke language of wellness and holistic self-care. That's also gets sort of mixed in with another equally powerful trend in Western culture, which is that of, you know, what we call here in the States, the snake oil salesman, right? Which is the sort of person who comes out of like alternative cures, alternative medicine, selling something that isn't in good faith, right? Selling something that is a con, right? But just as you'll find hordes of wellness influencers online, so too increasingly are their critics. In fact, there's an entire forum on the message board website, Reddit, dedicated to deconstructing content from Sarah's day. That's actually where I first discovered Jade. It was a way to talk to a lot of people who I never would have those conversations with before. Jade read discussions questioning whether Sarah was paid to promote certain products and she began looking for clues among all the influencers she followed. On platforms like Instagram and YouTube, influencers can be paid to promote brands. Their role is to embed that product in a persuasive story about how it's made their life better. And the more followers and engagement they have, the more they can charge for their services. As Jade learned more, she started to question the content and the business model of wellness influencers. How can anyone look at this and think that it's real or that it's healthy or that it's normal? And it worries me that that type of attitude and and actions put with the words of self-love and self-respect and that will then be what younger girls see as real, raw and authentic when it's not. When you're elevating those approaches, you're effectively setting up people to fail and in some ways to be worse off than when they started. If one, they're not getting their treatment, but also now talk about not thinking positive. You've got this whole psychological baggage of like feeling like you failed at healing yourself. So at this point, Jade's transformation from fangirl to critic of wellness influencers was well underway. This is Clicksick on Science Friction with Natasha Mitchell and Ariel Bogle. Ariel, Jade could have found herself clicking her way down a very dark rabbit hole, though. You've seen a real glimpse of this, of where she might have ended up, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic, hey? Yeah, I'm really seeing some wellness influencers veering into more extreme territory, becoming, you know, conspiratorial about lockdown restrictions, about vaccines, and even about whether the coronavirus exists at all. Natalia Petrozella has a theory why. Actually, a lot of people who embrace these kind of self-directed wellness projects This is based in actually a deep paranoia about the world, right? Which is that I'm the only one who possesses true knowledge about myself and my health and my well-being and everyone else, whether it's, um, you know, industrial food or the medical establishment or corporate America or government schools, all of those people and all those forces are actually out to get me. And so I've got to take control of my own health. Dr. Stephanie Alice Baker says many wellness gurus use the same rhetorical techniques. Often these proponents of wellness will differentiate themselves from mainstream science and medicine. They'll have a scepticism towards, say, big pharma, big food, and often bring up examples of corruption, which have occurred, but they'll use that to be able to justify these alternative measures. And it's really this deep distrust people feel towards the mainstream, whether it's politics, science or medicine, and also authority in general, that enables these alternative beliefs to emerge. And I think an extreme example of that 
is the anti-vaccine movement. Isn't it so damn interesting how this community of influencers is almost hooking back into the radical impulse of those earlier social movements, challenging the status quo, they're pushing back at mainstream institutions. There's nothing innately wrong with that. Absolutely, and I've been wrestling with this because when is it healthy to challenge establishment views and when does your scepticism become perverse and even dangerous? As we've seen during this pandemic, individual choices can hurt those around you. And they can fly in the face of scientific evidence too. Although during this pandemic, we're watching science in real time. Every week we're learning something new about this virus and it can be hard knowing what information to trust. And of course, if there's a gap, wellness influencers are right there to step into it. Yeah, that's right. And Stephanie Alice Baker explores some of these themes in a new book she's co-authored, Lifestyle Gurus, Constructing Authority and Influence Online. We coined this term low trust society. And what we really meant by that was a kind of collective sentiment where there was a a deep distrust of authority, experts and elites. And you saw this in 2016 with Michael Gove in the UK saying that people were sick of experts. You had Donald Trump uh, saying a similar thing. And this is very prominent, this kind of anti-authoritarian stance in the health sphere as well. And they will often build on very public scandals or controversies, um, examples of corruption, and then use that as a justification to seek alternative measures. In this moment, all of Italy pulls together. Hundreds of thousands of people losing their jobs. It is just absolutely hard. This is Australia's deadliest day in the pandemic so far. And in a global health crisis, our anxieties can be taken advantage of. But everyone's on their screens all day. Cultural historian Natalia Petrozella. And so there's something really attractive and irresistible and intoxicating about these people who are in some ways confirming a lot of your fears and your skepticism, some of it very well placed, and offering you a quick fix to boost your immune system or feel better or at least more reassured in this moment of great uncertainty and unease. Stephanie Alice Baker has been examining how wellness influencers are positioning themselves during this pandemic. Many are dipping their toes in with so-called immunity-boosting strategies, but have steered clear of promoting cures, perhaps for fear of losing brand deals. But then there are those who have gone all out. Where you do find the sort of more controversial claims is with the people who already were on the fringes. So people like Pete Evans or, say, Ben Greenfield in the US, And they already have more extreme views around diet and lifestyle. So it's unsurprising that then when COVID happens, that it's people like that who then use their brand to promote more controversial products and beliefs. Perhaps you've heard of some of these wackier offerings. There's the bizarrely named hybrid subtle energy revitalization platform or a medical medium with a spiritual guide to virus protection. Some are also sharing conspiracy theories about the origins of the virus. In the course of reporting on this pandemic, I've seen firsthand how the well-honed techniques of social media influencers are wielded to spread all kinds of misinformation. Dr Stephanie Alice Baker has too. And I started looking a little more at how conspiracy theorists were emerging as influencers and using the same techniques and really looking at how these same techniques of self-branding 
were being used to promote influences, but more in the sort of fringes of the political sphere in relation to the pandemic. So even in areas where you'd have people who promoted QAnon, but they were using these same techniques that influencers would use. The kind of context is really presenting oneself as distinct from mainstream science and medicine. And really the stance is anti-authoritarian. The common thread there is, I think, the kind of real inflammation of this paranoia, which in many ways has always central to the wellness movement, but I think has really reared its head during coronavirus because so many people are sick in mysterious ways. And there is legitimate skepticism of our institutions in how to manage it and how to cure it and how to happen. And so it kind of, um, you know, starts from that point of legitimate inquiry and legitimate skepticism and criticism, but then I think goes kind of off the rails in a way that is not altogether unexpected when you look at the trajectory of kind of wellness history. So Ariel, I mean, we should feel able to ask robust questions about our health and and the advice we receive about it, but it's not always straightforward, is it? Recognising when we're being sold an unfounded point of view. Yeah, and that's why it's been interesting hearing Jade's trajectory here. She's now 25 and she hasn't turned away from the internet wellness community entirely. But now she does try to follow people with qualifications in nutrition. You know, those who can back their claims with evidence, solid evidence, beyond personal anecdotes. I think there's definitely a place for the wellness industry um, and especially influencers and brands and, and even products in that area. I think there needs to be a lot more regulation around that and the health claims that can be benefited from it. And she now feels compelled to speak out. I felt like if I didn't have this conversation with you, then I wasn't doing the right thing by myself. I'm certainly not qualified. I work, I'm I'm a customer success manager for a tech company. I have no qualifications in health and fitness. I'm average Australian girl played netball had her own self-worth issues as a teenager and now I've come out of it. I just, yeah, having younger sisters, I really worry about that generation. My sister's friends, two of them have anorexia, like, and they're only 14. Like, it's crazy how, how much the younger generation seems to feel this a lot more than I did. Instead of allowing her health to be dictated by others from behind a screen, which so often sets us up for failure, Jade's found new ways to listen to her body. I'm I'm not going to sit here and say I'm the most healthiest person ever. I just personally feel a lot more balanced now. Just in, in my physical health and stuff like that, there's no pressure. There's no, like, you have to join a gym and work out 30 minutes or 45 minutes every day or you're or you failed, which was kind of the message that I was getting. And now, this morning I went for a walk with my dog and it was nice. I just feel a lot more comfortable. Walking the dog, my ultimate wellness strategy, Ariel, my lifesaver in this pandemic, it has to be said. Yeah, this is a vision of wellness I can get behind. And you know, this pandemic has got me thinking overall how much of our health is just outside our control. Absolutely. And our thanks to Jade, Drs Natalia Petrozella and Stephanie Ellis-Baker. And Ariel, thanks to you for joining me on Science Friction for our Click 6 series. It's been an absolute blast working with you and our team. Co-producer Jane Lee and series producer Carl Smith. 
Thanks so much. Thanks for journeying with me into these dark corners of the internet. Yes, and Ariel Bogle, our tech reporter here at ABC Science. Share the Science Friction podcast with your friends. Feel free to leave us a review wherever you get your pods. It helps others find us. We'll catch you. Bye. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.